My name is Kent. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's really great to be back from vacation. And thank you for those that uh, checked in on me and prayed for me and stuff. We got a couple of baseball games in. Got to see the Cardinals win in Bush Stadium, which is always fun. The fireworks go off and everything. And got to see the Cubs win at Wrigley. So it was really a great week. And while I had a little time in the car, I had come up with some good ideas. A couple of good ideas, I think. The first one is this. I think we should have fireworks legal all year long. Yeah? No? Not going to go for that one? Okay. Maybe they'll like the second idea better. I thought we should have Christmas in July. Is that all right? Okay, all right. One fifty-fifty on the ideas. We're going to read part of the Christmas story here in a minute, but before we do, I just want to remind you, everyone where we're at in this little series. We're talking about what we need to have a strong faith, and we're thinking about it as though it's like core strength. Are there some really basic understandings of our faith that help us strengthen right at the very heart of who we are as God's people? And will that strength then enable us to go out and follow God and to live as God desires us to live? Just as like core strength helps us with all the rest of how we function and our bodies function, so core strength in our faith will help us as we live out our life of faith. And we've been looking at this with kind of these four concepts, looking at the drama or the story of Scripture, and then looking at the doctrine that comes out of that, which is the truth, and then looking at the doxology, which is praise, and then the discipleship, which is the shaping or the following or the forming of how we become God's followers. <clears throat> so we're going to be looking for those four things again today from Matthew chapter 1. So I'd like to invite you to take your Bibles out, if you would, and follow along. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the chairs. Or you can, uh, as long as you turn your ringtone off, you can take your phone out and look up the, the Bible app and read it on your Bible. Matthew chapter 1. So we're the first book of the New Testament, the first chapter. I'm going to start reading with verse 18. Matthew 1, starting with verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. So this morning, I've got good news and I've got bad news, and I'm curious, what what would you like first? Would you like the good news or the bad news first? Okay, I I can hear both, so I'm going to have to have a show of hands. Who wants to hear the bad news first? Okay, who wants to hear the good news first? Okay, I think the bad news, you you are in a bad frame of mind, so the bad news wins. Okay. (laughs) Here's the bad news. Your brother has just been arrested. Good news, you're no longer the biggest disappointment in your family. 
a woman comes to her husband and says, I've got good news and bad news about the car. The husband says, give me the good news first. The wife says, the airbag works. Doctor asks a patient whether or not the patient wants good news or bad news. The patient says good news. The doctor says, <clears throat> you have 24 hours to live. If that's the good news, what's the bad news? The doctor says, I couldn't reach you yesterday. <laughs> Ouch. Okay, one more. Attorney to client. Bad news. Your blood was all over the crime scene and they matched your DNA. Your conviction is certain. Good news, your cholesterol is only 130. <laughs> we live in a good news, bad news world, don't we? Every day, things happen, and we go, ah, that's good news. And almost every day, stuff happens, and we go, oh, that's bad news. I'm going to hit the bad news first this morning. The world is broken. Is there anybody who would like to argue that point? I mean, we look out the window, we look at the newspaper, we watch the news. The world is broken, isn't it? It's a mess. And a corollary to that then would be that if the world is broken, then that means you're broken because you're part of the world. And I'm broken because I'm part of the world. We're all broken. And God is actually very direct about this bad news. The Bible says, all have sinned. That's bad news. But there is good news because God fixes broken things. This is what God does. God saves us from our sin. The Bible is very direct about this too. We just read it in Matthew one twenty one. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name <clears throat> Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's good news, but there's some more bad news, and that is we often try to fix our own brokenness. There's something about the way we're wired as people that we get in there and we look at our broken, kind of shattered, messy lives, and we tinker around with it, and we think, man, if I can just get my hands on this, maybe I can fix it, I can adjust it. And we're usually quite anxious and eager to get at that. In fact, we want to adjust and fix our brokenness before anyone really notices it's too broken. I've got worse news for you. We can't fix our own brokenness. No matter how much tinkering or twinking or trying, there's no fixing our own brokenness. We can never save ourselves. But there's better news, great news. God can fix anything. This is what God does. And God never gives up. He never gives up on us when we're broken. He can fix anything and he's never going to stop trying. This is the story of Matthew 1. This is the Christmas story. And to get a kind of backstory, I want to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. We've been spending a lot of time in Genesis the last few weeks looking at kind of the whole story and how it got started. I want to do that today because Genesis 3 gives us kind of a prelude to Genesis 1 or to Matthew 1. So I'm going to read Genesis 3, starting with the first verse, if you want to follow along. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that God had made. And the serpent said to the woman, 
Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing for the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was there with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day, And they hid from the Lord. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? And the man answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. So I hid. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. Good news God made a beautiful garden. And he put in this garden everything that man and woman would need to sustain them. And he said to them, you can have it all except this one tree in the middle. Don't eat from that tree. And it was good. It was very good. And maybe one of the best parts of this garden was that God would come into the garden and he would dwell with his people. He would walk with Adam and Eve, and they enjoyed this sweet intimacy as God came close to them. Bad news. Adam and Eve blew it. We get a sense of the sadness of this bad news when God comes looking. So God, expecting to have his time with his people, comes into the garden. And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from God among the trees. But the Lord wanted to dwell with them, so God calls out to them, Where are you? And the man says, I heard you. I knew you were there. But I was afraid. So I hid. God longs to come close to his people. He is always desired to come near to us. But Adam and Eve are never going to walk with God again this close. They're never going to have that morning stroll in the garden ever again because they're hiding from God. They're afraid of God. This is bad news. And we get a sense of the desperation of the bad news in the finger pointing that comes after it. You picked up on it. So, Adam, uh, what happened here? Well, the woman you gave me, 
She gave me this fruit, and so I ain't. So, Eve, what happened here? Well, the serpent you gave, he gave me the fruit, and I ate it. You almost get the feeling, I imagine in my mind, that when the God goes to the serpent, what happened here? The serpent's looking around to see if there's anybody else he can point his finger at. You know, Nobody wants to own up to this. They get it. This is bad. You get a sense of the scope of this when you read the next verses about the curse that comes. The rest of the chapter details it. The serpent is cursed. The woman is cursed. The man is cursed. The very ground that they're going to grow their produce in is cursed. The whole world is cursed. Genesis 3 is bad. It's about as bad as it gets. This is bad news. When things are bad, people look for good news. I think it's instinctive. It's wired into us to want to go, man, I need to hear something good in the midst of this trouble. I think hospitals have actually figured this out. Um, I remember going to hospital years ago and sitting with people who were waiting for their loved ones in surgery, and there was no information. And they just wanted to know any news about what was happening to their loved one. And you got the feeling that like almost anybody who would walk by with scrubs, you'd go, hey, any news? Any news? Can you tell me anything about what's happening? And I think hospitals have figured this out now. So if you go now, there's like a giant monitors everywhere, and they've got your patient kind of their identities hidden, but you know who they are, and there's information about where they're at. Are they getting prepped? Are they in surgery? Are they in recovery? What's going on? And oftentimes the doctor will even send people out with news as the surgery progresses so that people can know. When people are in a tough spot, they want news. When I read the tragic story of Genesis chapter 3, one question comes to my mind. Any news? Is there any good news here? And there is. God said to the serpent, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike at his heel. This is the first glimpse of good news in Genesis chapter 3. God promises to send someone to crush evil. God sends someone who will come and who will set right all that is wrong. God promises to send someone who is going to take care of the serpent, who's going to fix what's broken. God promises, and we discovered last week from Jeremy's message that God is faithful to his promises. God makes promises and keeps them. We can count on that. God promises someone will come and fix what is broken. And the promise comes almost immediately after the bad news. The rest of the Old Testament could be read this way. It could be read as a story of one generation after another asking the question, any news? Is there any news about this promise that God has made? Is there any news about the Savior? Is there any news about the one who will come and fix what is broken? Is there any news about God coming close? You know, there was a day when God walked with his people. When God dwelt with his people, is there any news about that day again when God will come close to us, when God will be here to dwell with us? Any good news? And the New Testament starts with this news. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. 
His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. This is good news. Jesus, Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, Joseph has been waiting for this good news as long as the rest of God's people for generations. They've been looking for this day, waiting for this good news to come. Now it comes in kind of a disturbing way for Joseph. Mary, who was pledged to be his wife, is pregnant. And it's not his baby. And his world is now broken. It's a mess. He no doubt is filled with fear. Maybe he has a desire to hide, dig a hole. He can't bear it. He decides he's going to stick to the letter of the law and break things off quietly. But he's going to sleep on it first. So he goes to bed and he's tossing and he's turning. And in the middle of his fitful sleep, an angel. And even though Joseph doesn't ask this angel any news, that's what angels do. They bring news. So this angel has an announcement. Don't hesitate to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. Listen, the virgin shall conceive a child, she shall give birth to a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is good news. The God who longs to dwell with his people, the same God that walked with Adam and Eve in the garden is saying, I'm going to come dwell with you again. Joseph wakes up from the dream, wakes up from the message from the angel, and he does exactly what the angel told him to do. That's the story. That's the drama. Now, shift gears and look at the doctrine. And again, like most of these stories, we could go a lots of different directions to a lot of different doctrinal kind of teachings, but I want to focus on two. First, God is with us. God wants to be with us. God longs to come close to us. This is part of how God's wired. This is part of God's character. This is the truth about God. God desires to be God's people, and he wants to come close. And if you want to know a technical term for this, it's called eminence, that there's this sense that God is not this far-off, distant, aloof being. But God is a being who wants to be in relationship, and he wants to be in relationship with us. Second doctrine, Jesus saves. Now, think about it this way. If God comes close and does not provide a way for us also to be forgiven for our sins, then that's actually not good news. Because if the holy God came near to us who are fallen, broken, sinful people and did not provide a way for those sins to be covered, then we couldn't stand to be in God's presence. We would be consumed by his holiness. But God says, I want to come close to you and I want to come close so bad that I'm going to send my very own son who's going to take on flesh and blood to be born as a baby, to live a perfect life and to go to the cross and die for you so that I can save you from your sins and come near to you. 
This is good news. This is the best good news you could get, really. In Jesus, God chooses to save us because God is good and God is great and God is faithful to his promises and God cares for us. So what do we do about this? When we hear really good news, what do you want to do? If you got really, really good news today about some other thing, what, what are some responses you would have? Maybe you would like, yeah, woohoo! thanks, Chris. We would share it with somebody else. We might sing a song. We might whistle as we walk down the hallway. We might do a little jig. Uh, some of you are wiggling in your seat. If you got really good news, you couldn't contain it. You couldn't hold it. When I get good news, I like to sing. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory o'er the grave. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. O come our day spring from on high, and cheer us by your drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to you, O Israel. O come, desire of nations, bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid envy, strife, and quarrel cease, and fill the world with heaven's peace. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to you, O Israel. That's the good news. Jesus saves. And Jesus is God come close. So how does that shape us? How does that form us as disciples? I've got a couple of ideas. One is this. Do you ever feel discouraged because of the bad news? Ever feel beaten down, worn out? Do you want to throw in the towel from the brokenness? Maybe it's the brokenness in your own life. Maybe it's the brokenness in the world all around us. You want to just give up and quit. This good news says, don't quit. Persevere. Hang in there. Listen to these words from Hebrews, one of the most encouraging books in the whole Bible. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin, the brokenness, the bad news that so easily entangles 
And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition for sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If the bad news has you beaten down, think about this good news and do not lose heart. Do not give up. Second idea. If we have really good news, we like to tell it to everybody. I, I wanted to call my wife Mary after the Cubs game. I was there with some other pastors, and I wanted to call her, Cubs win! Cubs win! I'm not even really a Cubs fan. <laughs> but it's good news, right? So you want to tell it. Um, is Jesus your Savior? Have you come close to God because of what Jesus has done for us? Well, tell somebody. I mean, this is good news. We use a couple of different ways to do, talk about this. We, we talk about praying for those that we care about. You know, the people we care about, they have bad news too. They live with brokenness and they live in a messy world. We, we pray for them and then we care for them. We come close to them. We love them. Uh, pursue them. And then when the opportunity is right, share the good news. Persuade them. Give them some of this truth about God and what God has done in Christ. Share. So that's maybe another uh, way that we can be formed today as disciples. Uh, a third one might be those of you here who are maybe still seeking. You know, we, did, we just got our results back from the Reveal study that you guys all helped us with, and we're, we're processing those and getting some coaching about what to do about that. One of the interesting stats that popped out at me was that 6% of the people who took the survey were in the category of seeker. They're exploring faith. Which makes me think there's a, some people here today who are, you're wondering, what does it mean that Jesus is Savior? What does it mean that Jesus is God with us? What would it mean for me to enter into that relationship? Uh, I want to encourage you, if you're still seeking that, to, to continue seeking because it's the best good news you could ever hear that Jesus could be your Savior, that He has died for your sins, that He helps God come close to you. And that's a promise that He's made for anyone who wants to embrace it. Question. Good news or bad news, what do you want? Yeah, I'm not asking what do you want first. I'm just asking what do you want, good news or bad news? We want good news, don't we? And so, do, so does the rest of the world. And so let's bring them good news. God, we give you thanks today for your word and for the truth of your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who came to be our Savior. And God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who helps us to apply these truths to our life. And we'll give you thanks for what you do in Jesus' name.